Good and welcome again to the um, third and final session of our healing conference uh, uh, today. I'm sure we have been blessed so far by all the words and all the prayers and all the anointing that have been poured out in this place. We feel the touch of God upon our lives. But just before we invite Jeannie for the final session, uh, Alison is just having a short break because she's been ministering uh, this afternoon, so is, uh, she's asked me to just pass on some few information on to you. Um, we, we're glad to say that we have got some slips there. If you wish to give a testimony, a word to thank God for what has happened today here, please do feel free to take a paper there and a pen there and just write whatever your testimony is, whatever you're thanking God for today. Uh, later on in the session, uh, Alison will read some of those out. So please uh, do, do that if you're able uh, to do so. You might want to include just your first name on it, or just don't put your name. Just put something there as to what God has done in your life today. It's always good to give God praise, give God thanks, and be grateful to God for what he has done. If you wish to do so, the pens and papers are there. Please feel free to use them. So I know after lunch, the temptation is there. Our bellies are full. And then what happens? You just want to have a quick snooze, a doze off. But this is time to say to the devil, no, I'm ready for the final session. So let's put our hands together and thank Jesus for all that he's done for us today. As we welcome Jenny to come and to give us our final session. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jenny. Hello. <laughs> okay. Let's, um, not going to do that bit. Right. Doing this bit. Okay. I want you to count to three using your fingers. Look at your fingers. Just count to three. Okay. Okay. Who counted using their thumb first and then the next finger and the next finger? Okay. Who counted using the little baby one and then the next one and the next one? You're with me. Who did something different to that? Who used the middle ones? The middle ones. Put your hands up if you move the middle ones. Okay. Put your hands up if on the same hand as we've been saying, like your, the hand you normally use as your right hand or your left hand. I don't know which. But who used... Um, something else on that hand that you always use first. What did you do? Show me how you did it. Count to three. Just put one, two, three. Yeah, you did the middle ones. Okay. Anybody else do something different with one hand? What did you do? Did anybody use two hands? Anybody use two hands? I've seen people use two hands. In a, hall, in a group of people that were about 500 people when I did it, um, there were about seven different ways that was um, with young people sort of 15 to 17 goodness knows why but they used all these different ways of doing it so one day I was my husband was a chartered accountant but the strange thing was if he was I'd sometimes see him go counting and he'd go like that and I'd go what are you doing and he'd be count, you know just counting in his head with something and then I said to um, and then he saw me one day counting I started with my pinky finger and I did that and he went you don't count on your fingers like that I said what <laughs> he said you don't do it like that you do it like this and he did his way and so he said you're trapping your, your index finger you're trapping it when you do it like that why would you do that 
And I thought, oh, perhaps I'm a bit weird. So, I, well, we know I am. But um, and then I asked my granddaughter, my family, and out of everybody, my granddaughter was exactly the same as me and did it like that. So what's that about? Nothing really, but it's quite interesting, don't you think? <laughs> so maybe this week you meet people, just ask them, how do you count to three on your fingers? But some people do it really a different way, but it's just to show we are, we're all a bit different, aren't we? We're not the same. We're not meant to be the same, you know. We're unique. Each one of us is unique. Um, so, yeah, we should celebrate the fact that we're different, but often we don't. We're, it's like herding, isn't it? We want to be in a group often. And if we're blonde, we often want to be brunette, you know. If we're brunette, we want to be blonde. If we're tall, we want to be shorter. If we're short, we definitely want to be taller. If we have straight hair, we struggle to get it curly. If we have curly hair, we struggle to get it straight. If we have small muscles, we want big muscles. Is there another one? If we have little boobs, we want big boobs. If we have little boobs, uh, big boobs, we want smaller boobs. And we rarely seem happy with our weight. And so the whole world is obsessed with image. You know, and the world says you need status to be significant. You need lots of money to be important. You need to be famous to be admired. You need the right clothes to be a somebody. You need good looks to be successful. You need a slim fit body to be acceptable. You need to be strong to survive. You need to have an academic achievement to have something to say. And we listen to all this stuff and we agree with it often. But Satan whispers, you're ugly, you're worthless, you're insignificant. You're not worth knowing. You're not worth loving. You're not a good Christian. You're not worthy to look Jesus in the eyes. And some of us, we agree with that. But the Bible says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, verse 14. I don't know if you've ever seen a newborn baby, but they're beautiful. I love the smell of them. Not one end of them, but the other end. You know, it's really... It's really beautiful. You know, a newborn baby, you know, you can't stop looking at them because they're so attractive. But how a mother feels about her newborn baby, if this is something that she really desired and wanted, is how Father God feels about us. But you've got to multiply that by millions, really, millions and zillions. And our self-image is a bit like having a photograph of ourselves. It's like if you've got an old passport fit picture... You might not like it because you've changed so much. You know, you don't feel like that person anymore or you look quite differently facially. But we can also change our self-image, how we see ourselves. And if we haven't got a good self-image or a good self-esteem, we can put ourselves down all the time. I don't know if you know people like that. Um, my daughter's mother-in-law, she's like that. And if we, if we get together and we're as a family and we're all together... She will do it all the time, you know, but I've noticed when it's just her and me, she doesn't really do it so much. And I always pull her up on it, you know, because I think we should do that to each other because we often don't realise we've got a habit of doing that, of putting ourselves down. But one of the jobs of, um, if we haven't got a good self-image and we put ourselves down, we're not able to, to give, receive what Jesus wants to give us, how he wants to use us. And we're made in the image of him, you know, we're supposed to... Um, reflect him <clears throat> and one of the jobs of our parents is to give us a good self-image but the thing is none of us had perfect parents none of us had perfect teachers and none of us had perfect friends and they can only offer us conditional love based on conditions 
And so a lot of us, we really haven't received any good self-image as a child. I know I didn't. And our self-image can be dented, squashed, or almost destroyed by the people. When I first went to work, I first went to work when I was 14, a few weeks before I was 15, and um, met this guy in, when, we went to, uh, when I went to work. And there was nothing about him that was attractive, you know, facially, you know, the way he was dressed. There was nothing about him that was. Um, and his face wasn't symmetrical, you know, there were loads of things like that. And because I was very young, I was very shallow. I wasn't a Christian then. And um, I went a, look by, a lot by looks and appearance. <clears throat> and the thing was, as I got to know him, his personality was so lovely. He had the most brilliant personality. And it was like what he was like on the inside, I've, I realized, was showing on the outside. And that was attractive. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 that there was nothing attractive about Jesus his face, there's nothing that drew people to his appearance, but it was who he was and what he did that crowds of people followed him. And once he even had to sit on a boat on a lake because there were so many people to speak to. <clears throat> but other people can dent us, you know, our photo of ourselves, our self-esteem, our self-respect. <clears throat> in Galatians 6, in the message, it says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given and sink into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself to others. Anybody done that? I'm sure you haven't. <laughs> we all done it, haven't we? I'm sure. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. I remember for years just being so ashamed about my appearance, even though I didn't weigh very little at the time. And I went to do a temp job and someone in the office called out, You've got duck's disease. When you step off the pavement, does your bum hit the curb? <clears throat> I was only seven stone at the time, and every woman in my family had big bum, big hips, and thighs. And everyone in the, in the office laughed when this bloke said this to me. And I went so red, I was so embarrassed. And when I got married, years later, when I got married when I was 19, and I told my husband about it, and I said, I thought that was awful, you know, they were laughing at my big bum and everything. And he said, no, don't be silly. He said, they weren't laughing at your bum. They meant you had short legs like a duck. <laughs> Which I thought was quite funny. Strangely, I didn't really mind that because I knew I had short legs, you know, short arms. And I didn't really mind. But I thought, what if his years I'd worried, you know, and thought they were being so cruel to me, whereas I thought that was quite funny. Um, but really, if they were laughing at that, it just means that my bum, big bum means I can sit down for longer uh, period than other people. I've got childbearing hips, you know, so that's another thing that's a bonus. And if God wanted me to have a small bum, he'd give me one, wouldn't he? Because I was made for his pleasure in his image. And he was really pleased with what he was made. So who am I to argue with the Almighty? Because God doesn't um, make mistakes, he makes people he loves. And so I should love it like he loves it. So I started to embrace those sort of things that I didn't really care too much for, you know. And it says in the Bible, 1 Timothy, for everything that God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So if you've rejected part of yourself because of what you look like, let's just pray about it now. Just tell him that you're sorry that you've rejected part of how he made you.
how he made you to look. Lord, you chose me to look like I do. And I now choose, as far as I'm able, Lord, to accept what you made. And I thank you, Lord, that you made me in your image. And I thank you that you love what you see. Amen. So there's somebody that's absolutely ecstatic about what you look like. Isn't that wonderful? God Almighty. Some of us feel rejected because our parents said we were not planned or a mistake, like I told you before. And I think, as I said about it, it made me feel a bit more inferior. But the fact is, our parents do not give us life. Did you know that? Our parents, they don't choose for us to be born. God does. God chose that you were born. God chose that I was born. The Bible says, the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. That's in Job 33. Because he gives all men life and breath and everything else, that's in Acts. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, Psalm 139. So if you felt that you weren't wanted, why don't you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that I was born because you said so. Lord, I ask that you come to the hurt inside that says I wasn't wanted. Come to any pain in me of rejection. Please bring me healing. Thank you for that's the truth, Lord, that I was born because you said so. And Lord, I want to receive that good pleasure that you had when you made me. So bring to you now, just bring now that pleasure of my Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, I didn't have time to tell you before, but um, I had another daughter after um, my fourth daughter. Um, and she was severely bullied at school when she was 10 years old. And she was bullied by a group of Christian children. And she'd see them on a Sunday. And they'd be completely different to her on a Monday. Because on a Monday, they were being led by a bully who didn't go to the church. And they started doing this to her because of the teacher. And the teacher would get her to stand up because she was very quiet in the class and she wouldn't answer. She wasn't like that at home. She was completely different. But at school, she was really quiet. And the teacher would get her to stand up and he'd say to her, you're going to speak and you're going to stand there until you answer me. And he used to humiliate her. He did it to other girls, we discovered later, as well. But under the table, behind the desk, the boys were all kicking her in her legs when she was sitting there. And then when she went out in the um, playground, they would say to her, um, your coat's ugly, your face is ugly, you're ugly, your mum's ugly, your dad's ugly, your sister's ugly. They'd say all these things to her all the time. And then the girls would call her over and say, Beth, come here, come here. And she'd go over and they'd say, ooh, what are you doing here? You smell, you know, ooh, what are you here for? You know, and they'd do all these horrible things to her, all started by the teacher. He taught them how how to do it really and at age 10 Beth didn't want to live anymore now we didn't know what was going on with her all we knew is she kept slamming doors and being angry and and all through the six-week summer holidays we couldn't work out what was wrong and she wouldn't tell us 
And it wasn't until the day that I was taking her back into school that she was crying her eyes out and she wouldn't get out of the car. So I went in to see the head and I think he understood because he had an inkling. In those days, they didn't do what they do nowadays to do with if a child's getting bullied. And um, he said to me, um, take her away. He said, he was new at the school. He said, in my last school, he said, there was a child that was being bullied, just what you're saying. He said, and, and what happened? He said, that child came into school and they put a knife into themselves and killed themselves in front of the bullies. He said, and I, I don't think there's something that I could do at this moment that's going to change everything completely for her. He said, and I should never say this. He said, but take her and take her today. He said, and find somewhere where she feels safe. And so that's what we did. I think she came home for a couple of weeks, three weeks, and I found a school. It was a tiny little school, a widgy little school. Education wasn't, personally, I wasn't bothered about that. But as I walked in this school, I felt love there. And it was a very loving, tiny little village school. And um, then she went on to secondary school. But the trouble was, when she got to secondary school, she found herself a bully that she could hide behind and become one of her people that was protected. She didn't do anything herself. She was still very quiet. But what she didn't realise, how manipulative, manipulative this girl was. And when Beth was in her 20s, she had a tick bite and ended up having Lyme disease for three years without it being diagnosed. So she was almost crippled and nearly died with it. And it exacerbated by her emotional pain. And she happened to go and see somebody about all this, saw many different doctors. And this doctor said to her, um, he found out that she'd been bullied and all these different things as well, because he, he was looking into emotional sides of things to help her as well. And he said, why would you do this? Why would you be a friend with somebody who's like this girl? Um, because this girl, what she used to do um, was do terrible things to Beth. And Beth, I had to sit by the side of her and hold her hand while she, she phoned this friend. I'll call her Susie. And she told this girl she was severing the friendship. And this girl started swearing at her down the phone, the foul language that she used. And you know what? This girl, for the next three years, texted Beth, manipulating her. Beth didn't... One of the things she stood up to was she said, I'm not going to change my phone. She's not going to do this to me that she makes me do this sort of a change in my life. But this girl, one message would say, do you remember all the wonderful times we had together, Beth? And then she would say all the lovely things they did together, and Beth would not reply. This incensed her. So the next message would be, you effing whore, you know, you effing bitch. And she used so many swear words. Uh, who do you think you are? And the, the messages would be so long. So long. In those days, you'd have to keep, you, they kept them short, so you'd have to send loads. So the phone was always pinging, you know, ping, 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 ping all the time. For three years without a replying. That relationship called untold pain and stress, and it affected the bullying as well before, affected badly our self esteem, self worth. And many people suffer at the hands of a friend. Have you suffered at the hands of a friend or a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex? It can erode you until you haven't got any strength left. Some people are very manipulative and there comes a time when you actually say, no, no more, no more, this stops now. 
We've given power and authority in Jesus' name. We need to use it sometimes. Have we received the wrong view of who we are from our parents, teachers or friends? So we could do something about that. People used to say complimentary things to me. Um, after I had um, my first baby, people would say, um, oh, what a lovely baby. And straight away, I could never even take a compliment from my own child. And I'd say, oh, she's got nappy rash. You know, it's like, what a weird thing to say when somebody's saying something lovely about your child. And then people say, oh, I like your hair. And I go, oh, it needs a wash. It needs a wash, you know. And even now, you know, if somebody says, oh, I like you just, oh, I got it in a sale. You know, why? Don't have to say any of that stuff. It's like, we're always trying to justify something, you know. We don't, we can say no. We don't have to justify ourselves, you know. We can just say no. In Proverbs 23, 7, it says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Sometimes we can have like these irrational beliefs <clears throat> as we grow up. Sometimes we're taught by our parents or carers about things that could harm us. Things like, don't touch the cooker, you might get burnt. That's a good one, isn't it? Sounds good. Don't play on the motorway, you'll get killed. That sounds like a good one. Don't accept sweets from strangers. That's a good one too. So these are for our safety and our protection, and so it's good teaching. But as I say, we, none of us had perfect parents, perfect teachers, perfect friends. Some beliefs get in the way of getting healed up. And these beliefs, we're either taught or we catch them. So we either catch them off our, our parents because that's something that they always say and we don't realise we're catching it. So some of these beliefs are called irrational beliefs. So did you ever have that one, don't tread on the cracks or you'll go blind in the pavement? Don't tread on the cracks in the pavement. Anybody have that? Or some people from up north have... Um, don't tread on the cracks, you get a pain in your back or something like that. You got that one. Lots of silly things, you know. My mum's never ever put your shoes on the table, whatever you do, don't ever do it, you know. Don't ever sit, sit on a cold step, you'll get piles. You know that one? Anybody heard that one? <clears throat> Weird, aren't they? What about this one? It's wrong to need other people. That's a bit rational, isn't it? What about if we have an operation and we haven't got anybody to help to look after us, you know, we can't stand up, we can't get to the toilet, we can't look after ourselves. What if is that is your belief? Do we just grit our teeth and carry on? What if your rational belief is, I must never make a mistake? What if you make one? Does the world come to an end? We can have statements in, in the past, from the past, you know, things like, you're useless, you're just like your mother, you're just like your father. Anybody ever heard that one? You're just like your mother, you're just like your father. You are stupid, that was my, one of my ones, you're stupid. You'll never amount to anything, you're unlovable, you're not wanted, you're a failure, it's your fault. So we believe these things, but we need to get rid of them, because they're not from God, are they? They're from people, but who instigates those people? The enemy, often gives people things to say to us like that. But usually, when Satan lies, there's a little tiny bit of truth in it. The lie I used to believe, as I said, one of them, was you're stupid. And I knew I didn't have a great education. You know, um, we, only, uh, we didn't have a geography teacher for a long time. 
So I knew a couple of facts about um, Brazil. That's where the nuts come from. <laughs> really useful things to know in my life. You know. And about the, the stuff, the gum stuff that all comes out of a tree, you know, all the all things like useless things, really. And it, because of this, it used to make me a bit defensive in certain situations. And I wasn't well in, educated, so it just enforced, reinforced this lie. And, um, yeah, I make mistakes. That's okay. We all make mistakes, but it doesn't mean I'm stupid. But I often would have that in my head. Do you realise in our thought life, we often have these things going on a loop in our head? And we actually agree with them. Did you know that? We agree with them. And I'm going to show you how it happened to me. And this lie went so deep that I have to be on my guard. And there are things sometimes that we have to be on our guard about, even when, when we think we've got free of it. So, for instance, I'd had that before about being stupid, and I thought I'd, I'd caught it. But one day, I went down to the shops, and I parked on one end of our village. It's quite a big village, but I parked on one end, where the shops are. And then I, I ended up walking up down the other end of the village, and I forgot I'd brought my car because I was going to be going somewhere else. And so, or I'd been somewhere else, I should say. So, I started walking home. I got halfway walking home, suddenly... The car. I've left the car. I wasn't even old then. And, um, and into my head came, you are stupid. And out loud, I said, yes, I know I am. Can you imagine that? And um, suddenly I burst out laughing because I suddenly realised where that came from. Because I, I suddenly thought to myself, who am I talking to? I've just said, I know I am. And so out loud, I said, no. I'm not stupid, I just made a mistake. Because I'm a bit like the absent-minded professor without the professor bit, I know that. And I can live with that, I know. But the enemy, he speaks in an accuser's voice. This is what you've got to watch out for, he's an accuser. And what he says to us is, you are, you are. And into my head came, you are stupid. And I said, yes, I know I am. Now, when I talk to myself, like we all do it, it's not because you're crazy, we all do it, we have thoughts and we answer ourselves in our head. But in our head, it's usually I am, we speak in the first person. But when we hear you are, God says you are to us, but he always says something positive and good. But the enemy, he might ask us a question, often he does that with me, if there's something I've been doing wrong, he never goes, you've done that wrong, Jeannie, you know, slap, slap, of course he doesn't. He's a loving father. He's, he asked me a question. And I answer the question and then realise, oh, that's not good. That's bad. Sorry, Lord. But you are. I want you to realise that and take notice of that for the rest of the week, the rest of the month, the rest of the year. Whenever you hear you are and it's something negative and it's against you, that's the enemy. And we don't realise he's talking to us all the time. He talks to, all, to everybody. But we can recognise it. As Christians, we can recognise it and we can do something about it if we know what to do. The Bible says, resist the enemy and he will flee. That means refuse to go along with him, defy him, stand firm and answer him back and say, no, that's not who I am. So we're told in the Bible that he's an accuser, a liar, a deceiver and he masquerades as an angel of light. I remember once a, a young woman coming up to me at the end of a seminar I was doing, a conference, 
and she came, and it was after the ministry time, and she came up, and she was all blotchy all over and red, tear-stained, and she said to me, three times she said this, I am not a disease, I am not a disease, I am not a disease, and I said, no, darling, I can see you're not, tell me your story. She said, when I was at school, she said, people used to come up to me, this was not in the days of COVID, okay, this was many years ago, she said, and they would touch me, and they'd go, ugh, you're a disease, ugh, you're a disease, and they'd get stuff out of their pocket, a little bottle of anti-back stuff, and they'd wipe their hands with it, and they'd go, ugh, and they'd walk away from her. Can you believe that person now, she was about 18, I think, she actually believed she was a disease. That was still there. That was still there from all those years ago when she was young. And that's what happens. She believed a lie. She believed that become her irrational belief. It's not possible to be a disease, is it? You can have a disease, but you can't be one. Let's just pray. There might be things that you've believed, we've believed. I'm sure I've still got some, you know, no matter how many times, you know, you do something about it, you then realise you have another one. Lord, I'm sorry I've believed things about myself that are not true. Maybe he's already told you of something that you've believed. Out of some of the things I've said. So just tell him, I'm sorry I've believed and put that in. That's not who I am. Tell the enemy, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. I want to know the truth. Please show me what that is, Jesus. Amen. So we need to choose to love ourselves, and it's a struggle. I've met so many people who don't just not like themselves, they actually hate themselves. And I remember doing seminars on this with young people at conferences, at festivals, and um, I remember the first time I ever gave the talk, and I call it, help, I don't like myself. I don't say, help, I hate myself, because there's lots of people that don't like themselves, and I thought that's an easier thing to admit and to come on mass to. And when I looked out, there must have been about 500, 450, 500 young people, and as I looked at them, I could feel that pain that they were experiencing. And as I looked at them, I thought, you don't just not like yourself, you hate yourself. And for some of you, you loathe yourself. That's so very sad. It's so sad. It's not wrong to love ourselves. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all you have and to love your neighbour in the same way that you love yourself. But for some of us, we don't. We don't. We're supposed to love what God made because when he saw what he made, he saw that it was good. But when he saw that he made us, when he made us, he saw it was very good. Now that word, oh, I thought I had the piece of paper that said it. I obviously didn't, but that word very good, we don't really get the full flavor of it. Because when it was translated, we see it as very good. But actually, in the Hebrew of it, it's like five words. It's like he was ecstatic. He was beside himself. You know, it's huge. It's, it's such an enormous thing. There's, I can't remember what all the other words are. But it was beautiful and wonderful. So when he made you and me, 
what he saw, it wasn't just very good, that sounds quite mild. It was huge, it was humongous. But sometimes what we do is we reject the traits of what we saw growing up, of our mum or our dad, or both of them. And we may decide, I never want to be like my mother, I never want to be like my father. But some of those things that we've got inside us are good, and what we've done is rejected them, and we can't get in touch with them anymore. And we reject ourselves, and I did that with my mum. I told you what she was like, she was very self-centred, she never went out and everything. But I didn't want to be anything like her. I wouldn't even take tablets. I told you, didn't I, when I had that breakdown. I didn't even want to take those tablets. And that's ridiculous, isn't it? Because they would have made me better quicker. And she, my mum was really creative. She was very creative. And years later, after going through a lot of forgiveness, it just suddenly dawned on me one day that I'd rejected parts of me that might have been like my mum. And so I said sorry to Jesus that I'd done that. I rejected part of myself that you meant me to have. And do you know what? It was incredible what happened. I started being really creative. Creativity blossomed. We've, all, we've been made by a creator, so we all have that capacity to do that, to be creative. We do it in different ways. My husband didn't do anything in the way creative that I did. He was very good at doing plans and things like that and designing different things on paper with measurements, you know, all that sort of stuff. <coughs> I did lots of sewing stuff. I did crafts. And then I got addicted to card making and sell, ended up selling them in a few shops. Um, but I also realised I'd done other things. Like, I embraced who I was as female and as woman, but the femininity, the finer, some of the finer things... I'd actually rejected them without realising. And when I did this thing of accepting and embracing what God and how God had made me, these other things started happening, which was quite surprising. I suddenly started wearing nail varnish and um, doing girly type things, I suppose you'd call them. More female girly side. Um, I started wearing earrings, you know. I started um, liking different sorts of clothes and even brighter clothes, not clothes that made me blending with the wallpaper, you know, or, or not to be seen, you know, um, different things like that. And it, it was a joy, you know, embracing that. It gave me pleasure, these things. And I realised how doing that, I'd harmed myself. And that's what we can do. We can judge, and it's about judging. What we've done is we've, we've caused a judgment on our parents. And it's only God to judge, isn't it? He's the judge. He judges. We're not meant to judge. So let's just ask him about that now, shall we? Lord, if I've done that with my parents, did I make a choice, Lord, to reject those parts of me that are like them? You know that, Lord, if I did or not. If, it did, if I did do that, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Lord, that I rejected part of me that you've given me to enjoy and to blossom. And I ask for forgiveness for that, Lord. I ask for forgiveness for, for judging my parents. 
or even if it's something I've heard about a parent, Lord, that I never had in my life because they weren't there. I'm sorry, Lord. I just choose to receive your forgiveness. Lord, I forgive. I receive that as well, Lord, and choose to accept now anything in me that is like one of my parents that is for good. I choose to receive that, the good parts, Lord. Thank you the way you've made me. And Lord, I want to celebrate all areas of my life that you've made. Thank you, Lord. Show me how to, to move in and walk in that now. Maybe at this moment you might want to forgive one of your parents for something. Just take that opportunity. And when we forgive, we need to say, I choose to forgive you for, and just, it might just be a start. You might just start with one little thing and go on a journey with that. Just take the opportunity to do that now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we need to be affirmed by God as well. Some of us have never been affirmed. We didn't have a dad that affirmed us. Mother maybe didn't affirm us in our femininity. We might not have had a dad that affirmed us in our masculinity. We might have had a dad that never affirmed us in our femininity. Or a mum who affirmed us in our masculinity. But we can be affirmed by God Almighty. You know, our Father, he can affirm us now, what we didn't have. I didn't realize I'd never received any affirmation or anything. And it made a huge difference to receive that from the Lord. And we need to know the truth of who we are in God. We need to know who he is, but then who we are in relationship to him. Long before he laid down the earth's foundation, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love. Long, long ago, he had decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son in Ephesians 1:11. Who God is, he is Father, he is holy, he is the light of the world, he's the good shepherd, he's a friend of sinners. We need to start writing some of these things down to know who he is. And we need to say them out loud. It's so powerful when we, when we say who God is out loud. You are my Father. You are Father, you are my Father. Who am I in relationship to him? Make it personal. He is Father, you are my Father. I am his child, I am your child. He is my friend, I am his friend, the friend of Jesus. And then use some of the other things we read. He's my brother, you're my brother. I'm his sister. Obviously, if you're not, don't say it. He is provider, you're my provider. I'm provided for, you provide for me. You're my father, I am your child. And we need to proclaim these things. Often we don't proclaim them. We don't say it out loud. 
and it changes. It's no longer words, it's truth. So I made a list then who I am in relationship to him. I am precious. I am cherished. I'm the apple of his eye. I'm his treasured possession. I'm a child of the living God. I'm a child of the King. I've been bought with a price, Jesus. And I saw in the Bible quite early on that the word of God is like a two-edged sword. And I thought, I'm going to grab hold of that. So I did. And I took it literally. And so in my kitchen, I used to get a hold of the two-edged sword. And I used to go around my kitchen and I used it and I wielded it in the air like this. And I would say, who God is? And then I'd say, who am I in relationship to him? And as I said it, it made me feel more powerful because it's truth. It's truth. And when I said it, it went from here down into my guts. And when I went down the street, I'd look behind me and make sure nobody was there. And then I'd get out my sword and I'd go down the street and I'd do it down the street. And it was amazing. It was amazing. It said to eat it, to devour it, the word of God. So I ate it and it became part of me and it built me up. And that's what we need to do. Against all the crap that was going on in my head, I had so many lies. I had so many irrational beliefs. I had so much stuff in there. There wasn't room for anything else. But boy, did this feel good. Did this feel good. It's amazing to do it. I suggest you try it. Look behind you first. <laughs> Always a good idea. And this is what I used to say. I am a child of the living God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus has promised me abundant life. The truth lives in me. I'm not having those lies. He is mighty to save. I'm saved. I'm just going to finish with a story. So I told you I had many failures. Lots of things always happened to me. And um, being a bit short, I didn't realise that um, I couldn't manage many things. And I also didn't realise I had this medical condition which probably exacerbated it and why I wasn't able to do some of the things. But anyway... One of my stories was um, my mum wasn't great at cooking. To be honest, mostly, if you had a bit of meat, you had to chew it about 50 times, take it out your mouth and stick it on the side of the plate. That's no word of a lie. So um, she knew we liked apple pie. So we had cookery every week at school. So my mum said to me, it's going to cost us money. We haven't got money, but we don't know whether we're going to like it. So no matter what anybody made in the class, I made lemon meringue pie. That's what I made. Because my mum knew we liked it. So, um, oh no, sorry, sorry. It wasn't that. It was apple pie. Wrong, wrong, apple pie. She knew we liked apple pie. Every single week, I made apple pie. It doesn't matter if they did steak pie, they had mince pie. Whatever pie they had, tart, everything. Me, what did I have? Everybody knew. Apple pie. I don't think I even had to measure it in the end. You know, we went home, apple pie, we know we like it, we ate it. One day, the teacher said, we're going to do lemon meringue pie. I'd never even heard of lemon meringue pie, but I liked the sound of it because we always had apple pie. That was it. That was my life. I thought, I really want to do this. I pleaded with my mum, please mum, please can we do the lemon meringue pie? All right, she said. Went to school, I was so excited. I made this lemon pie. Oh my goodness, I got it out of the oven. The smell, oh, it was intoxicating. I stuck it on the side. Had one of those little wire things, you know, when it keep get, make it get cool. Somebody walked past, caught the edge of the tray, went on the floor, splat everywhere. 
Could you imagine my devastation? I got, I scooped it up, I put it back in the pie. There was no way I wasn't going home without this pie. I took it home, as you can imagine, looked terrible. Put it on the thing. I'm on to one taste of it, and she went, oh, that's horrible. Well, it probably was. It had probably a lot of dirt in it and everything else. She said, I told you you should have made apple pie. And that sort of so hurt me. You know, that was my one chance, and I blew it. You know, felt a failure with that. There were many more things. At school, being a little bit short, I had problems with doing activities, sport. Running, I was always last. I was always the last one. I'd do my utmost, my little legs going, my little arms. I'd be doing it, doing it, doing it, always last. Wasn't just last, long gap between me and the next person. <laughs> so I was very last. Not only that, we'd have those ropes come down from the ceiling in, we'd have PE, don't know what they call it now, probably something fancy. So I'd get on this rope, all these people were like monkeys, they're like up there, aren't they? <laughs> they've, they've got on this rope, they're up there. I've got my feet on the knot on the bottom. I'm quite pleased that I'm just swinging. You know, I'm just swinging on the rope, being quite pleased, but then realising I really should be up there. So that didn't give me much self-worth, you know, or self-esteem, I should say, of doing that. The one that will always fix in my memory, but I've not, you know, I'm not bothered about it now, but at the time, wasn't good. Gymnastic display. The worst thing for somebody with short legs because they'd have this big horse thing. They call it, I don't know why they call it a horse, but a horse. I don't know if anybody remembers those, or they still have them. Little trampet thing in front of it. The idea is you run up, you go on the trampet, you go like this. I can't even remember what you're supposed to do, but you're supposed to land the other side, right? I do it, little trampet, go up, stuck on the top. <laughs> Teacher has to come up, help me down. It's open day. All the parents are there, apart from my mum, obviously. Parents are all there. No one from my side. And they all laughed. You know, they all laughed. And, well, it probably made me a bit of a clown after that because I thought it's better for people to laugh with you than at you. But, you know, that went deep. You know, so many things happened to me. Well, once I went um, somewhere and um, the Holy Spirit came on me quite powerfully and I ended up on the floor. Sometimes that can happen. It's like God relaxes you, really. It's because he wants to do deep stuff in you sometimes. Or he just, it just happens. We don't know why. It doesn't make any difference whether he does it or doesn't do it as to what he actually does inside you. But in this particular time, I was on the floor. The Holy Spirit was on me. And suddenly, I saw all these scenes from my childhood of those things that I just told you about. And God showed me all these things in my head. And then suddenly, it started again. And suddenly... It was the lemerang pie. I was in there. And he, it was the Lord was there. Jesus was there. And he said to me, Jeannie, that was a lovely lemerang pie. It smelt so lovely. Well done. You did that really well. Well done. Next bit, I saw me running. I was so proud of you. I was so, you did your best. You did the best that your little legs could do. I'm so proud of you. I so enjoyed you doing that. Next bit, the ropes. I was swinging on the ropes. There he was. That's great that you did that. You managed to get off the floor. That's amazing. That is so amazing. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud that I made you. I love you, Jeannie. I love you. Next bit, on the horse, when I was jumping over that. 
He wasn't laughing, he was clapping, but he was smiling at me. He said, well done, Jeannie. You didn't give up. You didn't say, I won't do it. You did it. You tried it. And you did your best. I'm so proud of you. I tell you what, I got off that floor. I was a different person. I was a different person. He affirmed me in my failures. He affirmed me. He didn't see it as a failure. And he can affirm us. He gives to us in so many wonderful ways. And this is my last one. You did start late, you know. <laughs> Have we done a deal? Good, 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 good. I'm not giving him any choice. Um, so I wanted to tell you actually the story of, um, I told you about the, the sad things that happened. And um, after my our little girl died, uh, Joanna, when she drowned, and I couldn't have any more children. I'd been sterilized for medical reasons. And um, I so wanted a, a child, not to replace her. Nobody does that. You know, but it, I just so wanted a baby. And um, I was taking Alex to school, Alexandra, and um, as I was coming out from school, I wasn't a Christian then. And then into my head came these two pictures. I used to get loads of these things happening to me because the vicar, when a little girl died, she, he came round to see, see us. And um, my mum always said, if you want people to stay in your house, take them in the lounge. If you don't want them to stay, take them in the kitchen. They won't stay long. So I took him in the kitchen. And because um, I know him, he's a friend now, um, I know him well, he would have pray he prayed. And I know he would have asked the Holy Spirit to come. And, um, and, but I remember him saying, asking Jesus to come into the kitchen. I thought, weirdo, Jesus is at church. He never comes into kitchens, does he? <laughs> but every time I went in the kitchen... I experienced something I'd never experienced before. I loved being there, and I felt this warmth. It was wonderful. And um, so anyway, um, I don't know why I told you that. There must have been a reason, but I'll come back in a minute. So anyway, I'd take my little girl to school, Alex, and I was coming out of school, and then suddenly into my head, oh, it's pictures, that was going to tell you about. So whenever I went into the kitchen, I could see... Um, these hands from the wrist down drawing me like this. And I thought, oh, I don't know what that is, but I want to go where it's going. You know, I'm not sure what that is. And then when I shut my eyes, I could actually see them, but it's more an impression when I have my eyes open. And um, so even then, the Holy Spirit started speaking to me in many different ways, and I started having these pictures, which I never had before. So I was walking along, coming back from school. Into my head, though, came this serpent, I could see this serpent in a tree going around like the Jungle Book film. You remember seeing the Jungle Book film? And this voice was, trust in me, trust in me. Oh, it was really horrible, it made me feel sick. And um, I, I didn't know anything from the Bible. I'd never seen the Bible before. I thought it was a, a, a fairy story. So I'd never looked at the Bible. So I knew nothing about Genesis and about Adam and Eve and the serpent and everything. And I was thinking, oh, that's horrible. I don't like that. And then suddenly there was this wonderful voice. It was, it was big, it was huge, it was deep, it was warm. It was like that feeling that I had when I went in the kitchen. And it was, this voice was, was compelling. And it was saying, trust in me, trust in me, trust in me. And I thought, oh, I don't like that horrible voice. I like that voice. I want to go with that voice. So I didn't become a Christian then, but I just made a choice between the evil 
horrible thing that was in my head. So then, when I said that in my head, suddenly I had this compulsion to run home and ring the doctor who'd done the operation of the sterilization operation. And I remember ringing my husband and I said to him, I'm going to go and see that doctor. And he went, oh no. So he said, why? He said, you might be disappointed, you know, I couldn't bear for you to go through anything else. I said, no, I'm going to do it. So I prayed for the first time in my life and I went and I knelt down in my bathroom, don't know why, and there was a vanity unit and I put my elbows on the sink because I thought that was a good place. I don't know why I did that. And I didn't know how to pray, so I just said, God, please give me a baby. Amen. That was it. And so we went, we went to see this doctor. The doctor said to me, well, what you didn't realise, when I did your operation, I'm pioneering this operation, he said, and it's to reverse um, sterilisation in women. He said, um, I said, how successful is it? And he said, 75%. I was like, wow. But the thing was, what he didn't tell me, he'd only done four in his life, and three of them had worked, and he hadn't done one for a year. And I saw a programme a while later, and... Um, it's only successful in 10% in 10% of the country at the time, 10%, you know, of the whole country. And he was telling me 75%. <laughs> and, but I didn't know that bit then, thank goodness. So anyway, I, um, yeah, had this operation. And then um, the outcome of that was we had another little girl and became pregnant quite soon. And um, when he said, you can go ahead, we did. And then um, when she was born... I didn't know that the name Elizabeth means a gift from God. We didn't know that. And we had a family discussion. You know, like with the whole, we had about 20 of us in the room. And we all sat, give, people were calling out these names. And everyone was like, oh no, we don't want that one. He, we had somebody in school like that, picked his nose in it all the time, you know. So it's like, oh no, we don't want that, we don't want that. So, um, you know, we're coming out with all these names. And Elizabeth, we chose Elizabeth and we call her Beth. And never realised. And, um, People in church prayed, you know, for her, for that to happen, because um, that was the start, really, of me becoming a Christian. And everybody in the village said, um, oh, is this our miracle baby, you know? And so everybody sort of joined in, and it, it was just so wonderful. And um, Jesus did that, you know, nobody else. Nobody else. Jesus did that. And so I just praise him. Let's stand, shall we? Lord, you are such a good God. You are such a wonderful God. And you are so, so kind. You are so, so kind. So kind. Lord, I ask now that you just come with your compassion. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Spirit of God. Just be a receiver. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, I ask that your compassion for your people, for us, your people would come. Even anybody who's here that doesn't know you, Lord, would know you more. Lord, come. Touch that part of us, Lord. You know which part we are able at this moment to bring for you to heal. 
Heal us on the inside, Lord. Heal us on the outside. We ask for more, Lord, because you are the God of more. We ask for more, Lord. Do more than we could ever ask, we could ever think of, Lord. Do what we haven't even got a reference for, Lord. Do things outside of our understanding. You are beyond our understanding. More, Lord, come. Affirm us. Affirm that little girl inside, Lord. Affirm that little boy, Lord, who was never affirmed. Don't pray now. Don't pray. Don't pray. Let him do it. Affirm me, Lord. Say that to me. Affirm me, please. Affirm who you made me to be. Connect me, Lord, with my emotions. Where I've switched out of some emotions, Lord, and I can't, can't get angry when I get upset instead of angry. Enable me, Lord. I ask that I would blossom in your sight. more, Lord. Come to any agony in my soul. Bring your soul love to me. Come to that deep path. If you want to, why don't you just put your hand on your tummy, put your hand on your stomach. Come into those things, Lord, that are buried deep. Do a work in me, Lord. Do a work in me. Make me more whole. Thank you. Come with your compassion. Deliver me, Lord, where I need delivering. Free me where I need freeing. Heal me where I need healing. Some of you might feel something in your chest right now. Put your hand there. More, Lord, surface that, Lord, that that I've buried. Lord, I know this is not the only time that you'll carry on with me. You'll keep doing this in me and through me. Thank you, Lord. More, Lord, more. More of you. Do what you want to do. Thank you, Lord. You sense something's happening with you now. Why don't you just come out to the front? We want to lay your hands on you. You sense the Holy Spirit's on you in some way at the moment, and He's doing things in you. You might not even understand it. It might feel confusing. Don't work it out with your head. It's not a head thing. Just come.
that you're precious in his sight. Blameless, you are blameless. You are blameless in his sight. Darkness reigned, but I have spoken. You are Darkness reigned, but I have spoken. You are blameless in my sight. of you who are still standing, why don't you sing those simple words as an affirmation to yourself. Precious, I am precious in your sight. The words aren't in the songbook, so don't you worry about that. Really, I'm just singing over you and singing over those who are, have come to the front. But words of affirmation that we need to hear and speak out. 
precious I am I am precious I am precious I am precious in your sight I may feel so undeserving I may feel so undeserving but I'm precious but I'm precious in your sight sing it again now treasured and desired as a child of God. I am loved, forgiven. I am loved, forgiven, treasured and desired as a child of God. Sing it again. I am loved, forgiven, treasured and desired as a child of of love and deep affection, words of truth and grace, hear him singing over you, hear him singing over you, he knew you before the beginning of time. Your weakness and your frailties. He knows who you really are. He knows the secrets in your heart. He is the Lord Almighty. Your names are inscribed on the palm of His hand. Your name is beautiful. precious jewel that you are, and his light will make it shine, his light will make it shine, his light will make it shine and glisten.
you with a song of beauty with a melody so strong and beautiful the cadence of that song rings out just for you there's a rhythm there's a melody hear him 